Welcome again. Um, if you weren't here at the beginning of the service, come in a little late. Um, I'm Dave Valoni. I'm the executive pastor here at River Oak. If you're joining us a little bit later online, um, we are so glad to welcome you. Welcome all of you. If you're visiting with us, um, we're glad that you've chosen to worship with us today. Good to see everyone else back as well. Uh, some of you, I know that the word is out. Um, some of you already know, but Pastor Heath injured himself playing basketball this week. Um, and so uh, he... Uh, we'll be back with us, we hope, uh, next Sunday morning, but it's going to take a number of weeks of treatment and some uh, recovery and some other things. And so uh, just be praying for him, if you would, and we look forward to getting him back with us as soon as is possible. Uh, and just a reminder, I know some people walked in, this is uh, the men's retreat coming up this coming weekend. Today's the last day to get signed up. You might be able to sneak in tomorrow morning, but the truth of the matter is we need you to register uh, today. It's going to be a great time in God's word, worshiping together as well as having a whole lot of fun um, out at Camp Rudolph. All the information's on the church website. I'll be there. Pastor Caleb will be there. We're really looking forward to spending some time with some of you men partnering together uh, in the gospel this coming weekend. Well, we're going to continue today in 1 Thessalonians. So we're going to be in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. We're going to pick up right where Pastor Heath left off last week. Um, we're going to start with verse 17. So you can pull your Bibles out and turn to a second, uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 17. Get your phone out. Uh, get ready to follow along. But before we get there, I want to start today with a question. Do you ever feel like you're just on shaky ground? You know, you kind of look around at everything that's happened around you, everything that's going on in your life, all the craziness, all of those different things are happening. And, and your faith even sometimes begins to, to fade just a little bit. Um, you feel like your feet begin to slip. You ever been there? I know I have many times. I was reading in Psalm chapter 73 this week where the psalmist is going through this very same thing. And I always like to share a little bit from what God's doing in my heart and my life where he's uh, changing me. I was able to share a little bit of this earlier uh, in the week with a couple of different groups as well. And the psalmist in Psalm 73 says, my feet almost slipped. And then he gives the reasons why. He says there's really three reasons why. First, he began to envy the arrogant or look around himself at all of the unbelievers who seemed to be doing whatever they wanted to do and without a care in the world seemed to be going pretty well for them. And then that causes him to begin to think that his own faithfulness, his own of following after God, doing what he's supposed to do, was just futile. And then he really starts to focus on himself. He looks around, sees all this happening around him, sees the injustice, see people living like they want to live. That causes him to think, well, maybe it's just futile what I'm doing. Then he starts to focus on himself, his own issues, his own struggles. So you got to figure out how to turn it around. And the psalmist tells us that in Psalm chapter 73. And I think this leads us perfectly into 1 Thessalonians today. But in Psalm 73, verse 16, the psalmist says this. But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task. Have you ever been there? How am I going to figure all the whys and hows and why God, why is it working out this way? How come it happens that way for them and not this way for me? And it just wearies us. But then he says in verse 17, until, I love that, seemed a wearisome task until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then I discerned their end. 
I went into the sanctuary of God. I worshiped together um, in God's house with God's people. I was encouraged in that moment. I was in the presence of God, the sanctuary of God. I was abiding with him in my own personal walk with him. I spent time with him. When I was in the sanctuary of God, then I began to see more clearly what was gonna happen eternally. I had a long-term perspective with, about everybody around me and everything that was happening around me and how God was working in my heart and in my life. And then I love this from Psalm 73, verse 26. The psalmist says, my flesh and my heart may fail. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Amen? God is our strength and our portion forever. What an incredible promise. And it's a promise that leads us to focus on having a long-term perspective on things, to think about the long-term, to not focus our efforts and our energies on, on what's short-term, but what's ultimate. And that's what I believe the Apostle Paul really does throughout the book of 1 Thessalonians. In 1 Thessalonians, he's writing this letter and it's building and it's building and it's building to where we get to chapters four and five and he talks about the return of Jesus that there's incredible victory in the return of Christ. And in the passage that we're gonna look at today, chapter two, verses 17 to 20, it's the first glimpse of that. It's the first glimpse of where he starts talking about the best is yet to come. In fact, that's what our main idea is today. I guess you could call it the sermon title if you want. Our main idea, the best is yet to come. That's what we're gonna focus on. That's what the Apostle Paul focuses on. As he walks through 1 Thessalonians, he commends them for their faithfulness. He commends them for their faith, their hope, and their love. He commends them for being an incredible example throughout all of Macedonia, even though they're an incredibly young church. They're an example of faith throughout Macedonia. He then commends them, as Pastor Heath preached about last week, for their acceptance of the word, receiving it and accepting it and allowing it to work in their hearts and their lives and to change them. So he's comp very complimentary of them. Then he explains a little bit about why um, he did ministry the way he did it. And today, in this passage, he's going to explain why he couldn't get back to them. He's kind of talking about, hey, I want to be with you, but I can't. He's going to explain that. So let's stand together. Let's read First uh, Thessalonians chapter 2. We'll start at verse 17. Standing together. You know, Paul always seems to live in the future tense while he's also living in the present tense. And I think that's a great example for each one and every one of us. Living in the future tense while we're also in the present tense. Let's start together at verse 17. It says this. But since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time, remember, he was ripped away from them. He was forced out of Thessalonica. For since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time in person, but not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face because we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or our joy or our crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? You, you Thessalonians, you are our glory and our joy. Let's pray together. Father God, I just pray that as we look into this passage of scripture today, Father, that you would work in our hearts, that your Holy Spirit would be present and active here in this place, all who are listening to us and will listen to us in the days to come. Lord, help us to know uh, your presence. Lord, thank you that when we come into the, your sanctuary and we come into your presence, when we spend time with you, Lord, you can right the ship. 
and you can get us focused on you. So Lord, I pray that you would move, be active, and help us to understand these words today in your name. Amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. So this is going to come off, at least initially, as a little bit random, but I think I'm in good company up here. Um, I was thinking about this passage and the crown of rejoicing, the crown of boasting, and for some reason, R.C. Cola came to mind. Um, anybody know, anybody remember R.C. Cola? Anybody know what R.C. stands for? Royal Crown, Royal Crown. So I don't know, did you know RC Cola's been around since 1905? That actually there's a pharmacist who developed it. His family was a family of grocers and they were really upset that they couldn't get a bigger percentage of all the sales of Coca-Cola uh, that they were selling. And because they couldn't get a bigger percentage, they developed their own cola. I used to love RC um, when I was growing up. It's not as popular now. It's had some ebbs and flows uh, through the years, but uh, particularly in Georgia and other places in the South, I mean, RC just went along with a moon pie, right? Um, you guys know what a moon pie? How many of you have ever, uh, this is a, this this was a telling question. How many of you ever heard this song? Um, give me an RC cola and a moon pie. An old country western song by Bill Lester. All right. Um, I remember more the commercial on TV. It says, um, me and my RC. Remember I mean, me and my RC. So anyway, I had that. I was thinking about that. It's kind of random. But um, my first point today actually is an RC. And I'm going to give you three RCs today. So you get three colas as we go through uh, the sermon today. But the first RC is that Paul really cared for the Thessalonians. He really cared for the Thessalonians. In fact, if you go a little further than we read today in chapter three, um, in chapter three, verses one, and also verse five, it says that he was longing to be with them longed so much that he could no longer stand it. When they got thrown out of Thessalonica, uh, they moved down through modern-day Greece on the missionary journey, and they were in Athens. It says he could no longer stand it enough that he sent Timothy back up to Thessalonica to get a report and to see how the people were doing and to equip them and to continue to, continue to minister to them. Timothy rejoins Paul in Corinth. He's in Corinth for about a year and a half. And then he writes this letter back to the Thessalonians based on the report that Timothy has given him. So he's writing these things, um, and he really wants to be with them. And you see that right there in verse 17. Just look at it again. It says, but since we were torn away from you, I like just to pause right there. It says, but since we, what's he comparing this to? Well, he's contrasting where we were last week. Pastor Heath talked about their love for God's word, and then he talked about the hostility that they were facing from the Jews. And that's how he kind of finishes things out. And so he's contrasting the hostility that they face from the Jews with now, hey, the affection and the love that we have for you, the amount, the amount that we want to be with you. He says, but since we were torn away from you, that word torn away is actually the picture of being harshly removed, perhaps from one, one's parents, like children being harshly removed, or even vice versa, uh, the child being... Um, uh, the child being removed from the parents. It's, it implies the idea of orphaned. So what Paul is saying is, I, was, I felt orphaned because I was ripped away from you in those moments. And I wanted to be with you so much. He says, I eagerly desired to be with you more and more. And then he kind of says, listen, guys, just because I'm out of sight doesn't mean you're out of my mind, right? Um, I, I've left you in person, but not in heart. His physical absence didn't reflect a lack of concern for them as their spiritual mentor, spiritual leader, and he cared very, very much about them. 
You know, I sometimes think Paul gets a bad rap. And what I mean by that is we oftentimes speak of Paul as the very direct, very confrontational apostle. And he was. He called out churches when they were in sin. He called out people when they were wrong. But it's so amazing how often he expresses his love and how uh, his affection for the churches that he's reaching out to. He, uh, when he was in Philippi, right before he's in Thessalonica, you know, before he gets thrown out of Thessalonica, he gets thrown out of Philippi. In fact, they threw him in jail up in Philippi. So he leaves Philippi, he continues to uh, share the gospel, goes to Thessalonica, but he's been thrown out of the city of Philippi. But look at what he says in Philippians 1, verses 7 8 about that church. When he writes to that church, he says, It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and the confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. You know, when I look at this passage and I look at these other passages where Paul expresses his affection for the church, I think it paints for us an incredible picture of what a healthy church should look like. Down in verse chapter three of 1 Thessalonians, verse six, when Paul, Timothy Brink comes back with his report, he actually says that the Thessalonians desire just as much to be with Paul as they want to be with him. The longing is mutual. The affection is mutual. The love for one another is mutual. The desire to express concern goes both ways. You see, this idea of church in Thessalonica wasn't a take it or leave it kind of an attitude. It wasn't, let me show up for worship for an hour and then I'm going to make a mad dash to the parking lot and then I'll remember to show up again the next week. It wasn't, man, I'm going to do something else today. Maybe I'll catch it later online. These guys had a great desire to be together because something happens when we're together that does not happen when we're apart. And that's the sign of a healthy church. And if we want to be a church like that, then it's going to, it's going to require some investment from all of us. You know, I'm always reminded, it happens all the time, hundreds of times a year, but particularly this week, um, we had a concern expressed um, for someone in a, in a life group. Someone else was really caring for them and wanted to just reach out to them and find the proper way to help them. And I thought, what an incredible picture of the church. Because they're engaged in, in life group, because they know one another, because they're worshiping together, learning God's word together, partnering together in the gospel, caring for one another, they're able to be there to see the need and then to help meet the need. We want to be that kind of a church. We want to be a church like the Thessalonians where all of those in leadership, and there's so many of you in leadership across this, uh, this room this morning, whether it's in a life group or in a ministry capacity or with your kids or wherever it is that you serve across the church, all of us care about the people that are in the church, the people within the church want to be with, of, with us so that we all can come together in the gospel. Such an incredible picture that Paul paints. And it's something that we desire and we want to follow after. But it's going to require some investment to get there if we're going to really care for each other. Well, after Paul shares about the real, um, that, he's, that he really does care for the Thessalonians, he moves to why he can't be with them. <laughs> you really do care about his Paul, but how come you're not back? And he talks about uh, the, the spiritual forces of darkness, the opposition that he's facing to getting back there. You see, Paul had very real concerns about the spiritual forces that were working against him. 
And I would emphasize the word real here. The Apostle Paul, man, he didn't shy away from anything. The Apostle Paul, um, he was bold. He was confident. He knew his adversary, the devil, was real. He knew that that was happening, but he also would, would charge uh, the gates of hell to take the gospel to people. So I think he was concerned. He had some rightful concerns. That's probably why he couldn't head back to Thessalonica right away. But it's the reality of it that I want you to focus on. He was saying, hey, look, this is a reality. This is going on. In verse 18, it says, because we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. Why do you have to leave in the first place? Because he was forced out of town. Remember, they came uh, to Jason's house where he was staying. Uh, Pastor Caleb preached about this from Acts chapter 17. And they came to Jason and said, hey, these are the guys that turned the world upside down. We want them out of here. He'd only been there for three Sabbaths and then maybe a few more weeks, uh, not a particularly long period of time uh, because he was the missionary journey was only a couple of years. He spent a year and a half in Corinth. So he wasn't there that long and he was forced out of town. He didn't want to leave, but Satan is always at work. We don't know exactly what hindered him. We don't know that. Could have been opposition, illness, travel complications, a direct attack by Satan. We don't know specifically what it is. But man, we see Satan's efforts to oppose the kingdom of God all throughout scripture. He tempted Jesus. He opposes the gospel. He deceives believers. He attacks the church. He attacks leaders within the church. Happens all the time. Why? Because he wants to thwart the progress of the gospel. It's like one enemy, God's, God, one army, God's army, that's out there trying to advance the gospel. That's what every one of us in this room is called to, to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ, right? And we're a part of God's army, and it's like Satan's army and all his minions. Man, he's like the opposite army trying to thwart that. The word hindered there, some of your translations might say blocked or prevented. It said, that he, hey, Satan hindered us from coming back. It's actually a military term. It refers to digging a trench or, or breaking up a road. That's the idea of it. He was hindered. I, I was in the Army Corps of Engineers. They always said that there, I wasn't in the Army Corps of Engineers, I was in the Army. The Corps of Engineers guys would always say, particularly, uh, or not just the Corps, but also the regular engineers, the sappers, would say that their mission was mobility, counter-mobility, and... I got it. Some, nobody got it at eight. Survivability. There had to be somebody that got it. Mobility, counter-mobility, and survivability. This is classic counter-mobility tactics by, by Satan right here. Ripping up the road, making the pathway difficult to, to walk through. His army trying to thwart the advance of God's army by blocking the road for Paul to get back. And I want to emphasize to you today something. Satan is real. He's real. Paul calls him in 2 Corinthians, the God of this world. He also calls him in Ephesians, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. Peter says he's a roaring lion, um, lurking about seeking whom he may devour. In a minute, I'm going to talk to you about the fact that he's somebody that we need to watch out for, but not someone that we need to fear because we have the Holy Spirit living within us if we are followers of Jesus Christ. And we'll get to that in just a minute, but I want to take just a short detour for, for just a minute. Um, it's not directly on point, but I think that it seems timely because today is October the 31st. And um, 
You know, that always brings up issues of spiritual opposition and things like that. It was a church for years and years. We did um, a kind of an alternative event on October 31st, great outreach event. Many people came and were a part of it. And a number of years ago, we made a conscious, very intentional decision to move some of our fall festivals and things earlier in the month of October for our children because we wanted our people Um, as they felt led to engage in their communities on a day of the year that's unique, unlike any other where the the world comes to us, right? Um, We have this unique opportunity to engage our communities on a night like tonight. And we want to do that. Um, I'll talk more about it in a minute because we certainly don't want to encourage sin or evil or anything like that. But the fact of the matter is we do want to encourage our families to be a part of their community, being salt and light within the community. I was thinking about that a little bit, thinking about my own family through the many years in the army and other places that we've been, where we've had opportunities to interact in our community, interact on at fall festivals and outreach opportunities and within our community. And so I was going through some pictures and probably just because I want to embarrass my kids, I want to show you one, all right? So here's a picture of my three daughters a few years ago. Uh, all dressed up for one of their fall festivals. The big question about this one is how on earth did Felice get Hannah's hair to stand up like that and how did it ever come back down again? The old Pippi Longstocking thing. I have no idea. Then you got Bex. Bex is running around. The two older ones are married now. Bex is running around here. I'm not sure which service she's going to be in. Um, she, I know she's on the medical team today serving. Um, she's a nurse over at Centero Lee. Um, she kind of looks cute there. So let me just embarrass her with the next picture. Here you go. Here's another one of Bex, um, you know, all dressed up. Somebody said in the first service, who's that guy next to her? Um, I know. The years, you know, go by um, quickly. But, um, you know, we just love this. Let me show you this next one. Guess which two of our kids are in this picture? Show the next picture. Yeah, it's me and Felice, right? Um, So it's not the two older ones. Um, That is the two of us, actually younger than any of our kids are right now, which is a little bit scary um, when I think about it. But uh, this is before we were even engaged, a couple months before we were engaged. We've had a great time being able to be part of these things, being able to be part of our community, but always for the purpose of being able to be salt and light wherever we're at and whatever we're doing. Experiencing joy, but doing it in such a way that's for the glory of God. You know, I want to be very clear about this this morning because it's a little bit of a detour, certainly, but it just seemed timely because of today. We never, ever want to glamorize sin, ever. We never want to encourage evil. We never want to condone satanic influences or satanic thinking ever to any extent. And we never want people to work against their own conscience in this regard. But as you feel led... Man, I would just encourage you to find ways to creatively not miss a very unique opportunity to be a part of a community where we can push back the darkness, where we can literally leverage a day where the world comes to us for the gospel and find ways to do that and be light in a dark, dark world. I've got a picture here of Felice a couple of years ago um, sitting on our front porch. She's got a t-shirt on uh, that says, how may we pray for you? And I remember that event because there were a number of our neighbors that we didn't know very well who came up and asked for prayer for some very specific things um, on that night. We've also had opportunities to just share with them, to interact, and, and then that leads to future opportunities. So listen, I know not all of us are comfortable with it. Not all of us um, are going to be able to do this. That's fine. 
But man, if you can leverage your influence for the gospel, that's what the Apostle Paul would be doing. That's what we want to be doing as well. And then we'll continue to encourage each other in other ways. Well, to get back to Paul, to get back to him being hindered from going to Thessalonica, two truths. The first we've already talked about. The first is that their spiritual warfare is very, very real. Satan's minions are hard at work to thwart you from your gospel influence and to thwart our church from its gospel influence. Ephesians chapter six, verses one, uh, in verse 12, that Paul says, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And let me emphasize that that's every day of the year, every moment of the year that, the, that we face spiritual forces against us. But it is no reason to fear. Let me talk to you about Satan just for a minute. We talk about the three omnis when we talk about God. We talk about he's omnipresent, he's omnipotent, and he's omniscient. What does that mean? Omnipresent means God is everywhere. Omniscient means he knows everything. Um, And omnipotent means he's all powerful. You know what Satan is not? Any of those. All right? Satan is not any of those. He is not all powerful. Our God is sovereign. And through the Holy Spirit, we have the power to overcome him when we're living our lives. Man, I'm so thankful for the worship songs this morning. It kind of worked out. We sang about um, being able to focus on the Lord, pray to the Lord that he, our feet will not be shaken. There's so many things in the song. Go back and listen to them this morning about spiritual warfare and how we can overcome it through God's word, through prayer, through community and staying together. But we've got to take advantage of that. A, we have to know him as our savior. And then B, we have to continue to live for him, to be in community, to be in his word, to be in prayer. So it's very real. Satan is a singular being. He's not everywhere. He's in one place. He's got minions everywhere, but he's in one place. He also doesn't know everything. He only knows what's reported to him. That's it. All right, now he's gathering information and trying to thwart the gospel, no question. And he's not all powerful. So just keep that in mind. Don't be fearful. Be confident in the grace that's found in Jesus Christ. Be confident in the power of God. But also, man, we gotta watch out. Because who does the lion attack? The lion attacks the antelope or the animal that gets a little bit separated from the herd kind of out on their own a little bit, a little bit weaker, not spending time with the Lord, that's who Satan attacks and just pulls them away from the herd and keeps them away. So we've got to stay connected. That's why we want to really care for each other. That's why we want to be a church that loves each other and it has affection and love in what we do. And then we want to be careful about this issue of the devil. Now, listen, that's what's true. What's not true in verse 18 is this myth that if you're doing God's will, everything's gonna work out just fine and dandy for you. Listen, on this present age, it will ultimately, that's why I said the best is yet to come. But when you think about the present day, there scripture is filled with examples of people who suffered all kinds of hardship for, for the sake of the gospel. Paul himself was thrown in prison, whipped, beaten, stoned, shipwrecked, in danger from enemies and the elements. But he stayed faithful and true. It didn't all just work out because he was doing God's will. That's not true. Jesus himself tells us that we are to deny self, take up our cross daily, and follow him. But man, we do it in the power of the Holy Spirit. Well, that brings me to the the last of the three RCs. 
All right, verses 19 and 20. Paul looked forward to the rich crown of presenting the Thessalonian believers to Jesus. That rich crown of presenting the Thessalonian believers to Jesus. It might be the rich crown of knowing that his life had been used for God's greater purposes. What looks like Satan's momentary success, he hindered us from coming to you, is not long lasting, right? Because Paul, it looks at the ultimate victory in this passage. He kind of keeps with our main idea for today. The best is yet to come. He always taught others to live in light of Jesus Christ's return. Because in Jesus, there is victory. There's victory in Jesus. You hear me? There is victory in Jesus. Okay, let's say that together because clearly we need to wake up as we get here to the end. There is victory in Jesus. One more time. There is victory in Jesus. Man, isn't that good news? Isn't that the news? And he's returning again. So Paul takes them there. Um, Look at verses 19 and 20. For what is our hope? or joy, or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Then the rhetorical question, is it not you, Thessalonians? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. What brings Paul joy? The Thessalonians, these new believers that have grown in their faith. You see, Paul's long-term mindset, his anticipation for the future was based on the assurance that he would one day see Jesus. That he would, that Jesus would one day return, that if he passed, that he would be in the presence of Jesus. And his assurance was based on the present, on being in the presence of Jesus. But he also found incredible, great joy in those believers that he was ministering to, knowing that they would be right alongside of him, bringing glory to God as well. That was his crown of rejoicing. That was his greatest hope. That was where he found his joy. The word crown there is not crown like you think of a royal, uh, like a royal wearing the crown. It's the crown like a wreath, a laurel wreath that would be given to the victor in the Greek games. It was a prize. It was a sign of success. And he was saying, man, I can't wait to present you guys to Jesus because you are my joy and my crown. He stayed focused on the calling that you have and I have. The calling to make disciples. The calling that no matter what else is going going on around us, no matter how much Satan's trying to hinder us, no matter how uncertain the scenario is, number one, more important than, than anything else that we're doing in our life is to focus on the gospel and sharing it with others, leading others into a growing relationship with him. And that happens when we invest in being together. That happens when we spend time together in his word and we grow. It happens when we are willing to share and be a light in our community. That's what Paul is focused on here. He stays focused. We say we have four measures here, right? Am I following completely? Am I changing continually? Am I living generously? And am I multiplying disciples? Our prayer is that every one of us that's ever here, every one of you online that considers yourself to be part of River Oak Church, every person in this room would be able to answer yes to those four questions. Am I multiplying disciples? That's why we encourage you to get involved in our growth tracks, in our equipping programs, be involved in a life group, be involved in serving, because all of those things contribute to the growth of other disciples. A disciple is someone who follows Jesus, is changed by Jesus, and is on mission for Jesus. If we're not on mission, then we're not fulfilling what God's called us to be as disciples. In fact, you could argue that we're not disciples if we're not on mission for him. Jesus saves us by faith, by grace through faith, 
It is, there's nothing that we do to contribute to that. But then the Holy Spirit takes the genuine believer and works in our hearts so that this is something that we continue to do. Our highest reward and our greatest joy should be those who come to believe in Christ and are growing around us. They were for Paul. So man, as we attempt to live like the best is yet to come, there's two things that I believe that we need to stay laser focused on. The first is that we need to set our minds on things above. And the second is that we need to see our mission as reaching others with the gospel of Christ for the glory of God. Set our mind on things above and see our mission as reaching others with the gospel of Christ for the glory of God. That's what we're called to do. That's when, you know, this crown of rejoicing becomes a real thing in our lives where our greatest joy is in seeing others follow after Jesus Christ. Colossians chapter three, verses one and two says this. Colossians three, one and two. If you then have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God, Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. When you walk out of our auditorium and you're headed out the main entrance, there's our taglines on the wall in big letters there. It says, live for more, live for more. Underneath it is the reference to the verses I just read, Colossians 3, 1 and 2. Colossians 3, 1 and 2 tell us to set our mind on things above, not what this world has to offer. We're not living for more of what the world has to offer. We're living for the joy and the reward that Christ has to offer. And that's found in living out his mission. Colossians 3, 1 and 2, set your affection on things above. Whenever you walk out of here, we're sending you out. When you see live for more, that's what it's about. It's about living sent. It's about living for more. And it's about living for others. Setting my mind on the things of God, not on everything else around us. And you say, man, that's really hard for me. That's a difficult thing. I'll join the club. But you might say, it just seems impossible in my brokenness right now. You're talking about setting your mind on something uh, that I don't even understand or know. As we get to the end of the service today, on my left, you're right up here in the front, we're gonna have a spiritual response team. And they will be able to share with you if you sense the brokenness of the Lord. If you are, man, I am just far from God, I don't even know what it means to be in a relationship with him. They would love to share with you how you can know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, how you can begin to actually set your mind on things above. Live with an eternal perspective. Experience the joy and the peace and the love and the eternal life that's found only in Jesus Christ. But you might be sitting here saying, I know Christ, but it's still so difficult. That's where this daily disciplines come in of spending time with other believers, of spending time in God's word and prayer so that we can thwart the devil's attacks and keep him away from us. It's so important. And then man, if you're a believer here today, I've got another set of verses for you. First, set your mind on things above. Live for more, as it says, as you go out the door. But secondly, Paul says this in Colossians 1, 28, 29. Him we proclaim, speaking of Jesus. He's saying, Jesus we proclaim. Jesus we proclaim. Warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works in me. 
This is our mission. Paul toiled at it. He struggled at it. He worked hard at it. It was his life's purpose and goal, and it needs to be every one of our life's purpose and goals. He calls us all to different vocations. He calls us all to different neighborhoods. He calls us all to different lots in life. But within the context that he's put us, we are called to live for him. We are called to reach others for him. We are called to toil, to be poured out as a drink offering, as it says in 2 Timothy. But you know, you don't have to do it on your own. I love that Paul doesn't say, I picked myself up from my own bootstraps and I did it. He says, I did it based on what? His energy, Jesus' energy, and his strength that he powerfully works in him. You see, the Holy Spirit comes to live within us. And the Holy Spirit convinces and convicts of sin. The Holy Spirit is the one who does the work in the lives of the people around us. We're just called to be empty vessels, open our hands up, hold loosely the things of this age, and to live for others. That's what we're called to do. It's that simple. But we've got to live it out. So how do we make this turn in our church? How do we do this? Well, number one, man, we've got to make an investment in presence. We got to make an investment in, and I'm not talking presence like, like gifts. I'm talking presence like you're here. We got to make an investment in presence so that we become a church that really, truly cares for one another through our groups and through our worship and through being together and serving together. And then we've got to stay in God's word like Pastor Heath preached about last week. We've got to remain in prayer so that we can stand against the wiles of the devil, so that we can stand against those satanic opposition and forces to try to hinder us from spreading the gospel. We've got to live in community so that we can lift each other up and encourage to do that. That way we can stand against the real concern that there is satanic opposition out there fighting against us that wants to keep us and our church from our number one value, which is to be about the gospel. And lastly, man, we've got to remain faithful. We've got to set our mind on things above and see our mission as reaching others with the gospel of Christ for the glory of God. Discipling them so that they'll grow in their faith and one day we will, our crown of rejoicing will be that we are standing together with them, glorifying God all in one accord. That's our calling. That's what he's asked us to do. Let's pray together. Father God, as we go from this place today, Lord, I pray that you would help us to live for more, not what this world has to offer, but what you have to offer and help us to be willing to share it with others. Help us to set our mind on you, set our mind on things above, have a long-term perspective, always live knowing that the best is yet to come, that you are returning and that we can be victorious in you. Lord, if there's someone here today right now who's never come to faith in you, maybe they thought they did, maybe they, they, they're just confused, I pray that you give them the courage to step out as we close the service to our spiritual response team up here in front and just ask them, just say the words, I don't even know why I'm here. I need Jesus. If there's a believer here who needs prayer, I pray that they'd have the courage to step out as well. And God, for every person in this room, as we walk out of here and we see that sign, live for more, God, I pray that that would be our motivation for this week, that we would take one step on our journey to continue to live for you. And we thank you for the rescue that's only found in Jesus Christ. We ask these things in your name. Amen. One last thing. We stand with me? Everybody stand with me. I got one last thing. Let's all stand together. And I want you to say this with me before we leave this morning. 
All right, you're gonna stay with me. There's victory in Jesus. All right, everybody together, ready? There is victory in Jesus. No, one more time, better than that. There is victory in Jesus. And there will be today, there will be tonight. Go live for more in our communities. We love you guys, have a great day.